We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 97, Esports Ready. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. But before I ask him how he is, like I do every single week, Travis, I've been looking for uh, somebody who's kind of a big deal. Do you happen to know anybody that might be a big deal that I can podcast with this week? I think I, I think it's safe to say I'm a medium deal, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I think medium might be acceptable for my for my purposes. You see, I'm looking to talk to somebody about Magic Arena and how ready it is for esports. Would you happen to know anybody that might have some, let's say, firsthand knowledge of such a thing? Oh, someone who might have competed in and potentially even top forward the first ever esports event for Magic Arena? Yeah, I think I can hook you up with a guy. Okay, I, well, if you want to get them, him or her, on the podcast here, I, I will wait. Yeah, take your time. I'll see what Caleb's up to. <laughs> for real, though, how are you doing? Uh, I feel like a champion. So, for those that aren't in the know, uh, Mr. Sowers here participated in the Twitch Rivals event. So, Twitch Rivals is a um, isn't like an esports league or esports event uh, put on by Twitch proper, um, and they normally do things like PUBG. There's a StarCraft version. Um, there may be some other games that they play. And They've done Fortnite too. Fortnite, and, and generally speaking, what it is is they get a bunch of the popular streamers of that game. And stick them all in a tournament, whether that be teamed or solo or whatever, throw a bunch of prize money at them, and then have them face off on their streams, as well as on the live Twitch Rivals stream as well with full commentary. Um, And they pay these prizes out at the end of the day. And generally speaking, it's just a huge promotion for the game and also all of the streamers. And it's a really fun, high-quality competition. Um, The PUBG one especially is usually very entertaining. Anything with teams where you get the banter back and forth is great. And this was essentially um, the first... I don't even think they do Hearthstone for this. I think this is the first like non-shooter or non-strategic game. It's the first card game that they've done, and it's the first esports event, like you said, for Magic Arena, which is kind of a huge milestone. If we rewind, rewind the tape to a previous episode, I don't actually have the button, the magical button that'll... <laughs> but I believe the bet was between us, a coffee, mm-hmm. and I said... You thought that they would have an eSport by, when was it, the end of next year, right? And there was a certain prize pool. And obviously, mm-hmm. I I did not win that bet. So, so I really like the maple frappuccinos from Tim Hortons. You know what's funny? Is nobody in Canada likes Tim Hortons anymore. So you can have all the maple frappuccinos you want. Okay, they just don't have them here. And they're actually quite delicious. But no, I this is a this is a bet I am very happy to lose because to see uh my co-host, good internet friend, uh Travis, make and not only make and, and quote qualify for, but be selected for the first Magic Arena esports event, but also kind of kick a little butt and make top four with a a tweaked deck that you were hoping to take the meta by storm with that got 
that that showed so much promise that you actually converted a couple of players onto <laughs> Team Naya tokens, and um, I think you I think you got a little bit of respect from from some of the better players in the tournament, or at least not a lot of them saw that saw it coming when they saw your list. So kudos to you and congratulations. And I want to pick your brain on everything esports. Sure, let's go. So. First, tell us a, a little bit about how you got selected for the event. What was the process like for that, if that's something you can share? Well, as far as I know, they they picked Twitch partners that they thought would make for a good show. And I, I can tell looking at the list of people who were selected, many of them were Magic players and a few of them weren't. So it was more or less just a notification pops up. Hey, are you interested in this? And I, I knew what Twitch Rivals was because I've watched all of the PUBG ones and I found those to be really entertaining because as you mentioned, there's the banter back and forth and like watching PUBG tournaments can be kind of boring because it's kind of like people are hiding in houses for hours. But if you watched it on the Twitch Rivals screen, they would switch to where the action is live on those people's streams and you could hear them talking about what they were planning and it was a lot of fun. So I knew what it was immediately and hopped on board as soon as I could. Um, finding out it was standard, I suddenly got very interested in standard, whereas I'd kind of just been playing draft for the past three months. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, it was a bit of a surprise to see you switch to standard. Um, and I don't think outside of maybe the mocks or a P PTQ on, on Magic Online, I don't think I've ever seen you prepare as hard for an event as you did over the last few days. Um, how hard was it to keep it a secret? Like, obviously, there's an NDA involved, so it's very easy at the end of the day. But, like, how much did you want to tell people about this? Oh, I wanted to scream it from the rooftops. And they they were basically like, you can tell them that something's coming, but can't tell them specifically what yet. Uh, which is why I kind of cheekily made my stream title, I'm interested in standard for no reason at all. And, you know, just kind of sort of hinted that something was up, but I couldn't exactly say what it was. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing to me is is that, we'll get into this in a little bit, but there was the $10 million announcement from from Wizards of the Coast in, in regards to arena and competitive magic and things like that, esports. This was not that. This had nothing to do with that. So this was... This was a Twitch initiative on its own. We don't know if maybe WotC like sponsored it or something like that, but as far as we can tell, you know, Twitch beat WotC to the punch on this one. What what's your take on that? I think it's a really good thing to see this type of tournament start here, and I had a lot of people tell me um in chat afterwards that this kind of reminded them of the first tournaments they saw for League of Legends or StarCraft back in the day where it was community organized. And again, this was through Twitch rather than through the community, but like all of it was put together there. Uh, so I, I think this is very good news for the potential future of, of magic as an esport. Mm -hmm. And like, I, I went on a bit of a rant as, as I am wont to do where like I'm playing in a big tournament, but when it was time for lunch, I just went and got lunch and put something in the microwave and when I needed the bathroom, I didn't have to wait in line. Like, it was my bathroom. So, like, I, I think Magic as an eSport is terrific. That's the way I'd prefer to play it. So, all right. So, let's go back and let's talk a little bit about the prep then. So, going into this, you had about a week's notice, I want to guess. Maybe a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, how did you want to approach this tournament? So, you knew it was best of three up front. You knew that it was going to be Swiss cut to top eight with somewhere between 32 and 64 players, right? You knew all that going in. Yes. Did you have an idea of who else was going to be involved in the event? Like, did you know if it was going to be like, like full-time players, part-time players, you know, celebrities that don't necessarily play magic or a mix? How much of, of the field did you know about in advance? 
enough to know that there were going to be some very good players there and some people who play for reasons other than competitiveness. So right. as, as I looked at it, I'm like, essentially, I need to be prepared for all of the meta decks. And I also need to be prepared for a meme deck because there might be somebody that's just like, I just want to have fun. And like, I obviously want to have fun too, but for me, winning is fun. So I wanted to find the best deck I could that I felt was good against all of the the kind of standard decks you might see and also had enough of an aggressive game plan that it could beat a memer. Okay. So what, how did you start that? What was your approach early on then in, in the testing? Well, I had kind of played Golgari some, uh, Ray, who has been on the podcast before on the stream before good friend and excellent magic player kind of turned me onto that deck a long time ago and I'd played with it. I understood it in and out and I actually kind of enjoyed it and had played that in standard. So I assumed I was going to play that, but for prepping, I wanted to look at some of the other lists and I thought maybe I'll try them. And I found a green white tokens list that I really liked, but I, I felt like it was kind of missing some oomph. Um, and it was also playing flower to flourish to try to simultaneously cheat on lands and have a way to have a big finish. And I, I just kept thinking these are terrible tap lands and the, the flourish part is just not big enough. And every time I played it, I was like, this deck wants heroic reinforcements. It just, if it had that, it would be better. And finally I was like, you know, screw it. Let's see what would happen if I tried to build this deck and put heroic reinforcements in it. Uh, and that's, that's what I, like, once I did it, I, you know, went through one of the, the competitive events and 5-0'd it. And I was like, huh. And then it happened again and again. And on the fifth time when I had five wins with this, I was like, I may actually have something here. Let's tweak this. So at what point in the process did you, like, how far in did you know that that was your deck? And then how much time did you spend testing it and tweaking it and fixing the sideboard and things like that? Well... I would say it was like after that run, I was really thinking this was going to be my deck. And then I asked you if you would do some testing with me. And that was absolutely invaluable. So you had a day off work and hopped on and just kind of jammed Golgari games against me. I think we played 30 games, like 15 pre-sideboard and 15 post. And I went into that matchup thinking that the card I was scared of from you was Carnage Tyrant. And it wasn't. The entire game revolved around Wild Growth Walker. Did you have one? And if you did, could I kill it? Uh, and if I could get rid of the Wild Growth Walker, I could win. If I couldn't, I probably couldn't. Uh, and when I realized that, like, we tracked it, I actually had a pretty good matchup against Golgari game one, and I felt like I could get it close to 50% game two, even when you were bringing in a bunch of Wraths. I'm like, if I'm favored game one and it's a coin flip for the next two, and this is what we're expecting to be the most popular deck, well, that's really good news. And the other deck that I assumed would be the most popular was Drake's. And when I was going through those leagues, like that's who I was just clobbering to the point that I didn't even need sideboard slots for Drake's because I didn't need to change anything. It just, that was just kind of a free roll for this deck. So, so you, lo you locked yourself in, you did a bunch of testing. Um, on the day of, or sorry, the day before you had another testing partner in, um, uh, okay, I'm sorry, I don't remember her actual name. Muffin. <laughs> yeah. And um and so so what did that what did that go like and um and what were the results of that testing? So we, we did a bunch of testing on Friday, which I agree was absolutely invaluable for you. You you crushed the Golgari deck. Um but what did what did she bring to the table and, and help you out with? 
Well, she, uh, so shout out to Michael, um, Mauricio Blue on Twitch for introducing me to Muffin Pastry Pie. Uh, and like we talked some and decided I wanted to have her on as a guest of the stream. And I've been trying to do some more of that lately. I've had you on, I've had Tommy on and, and I guested with Richard today. So like just try to do a little bit of community building there. And I was like, we'll, we'll see if we get along. And she came on and wanted to test for the event and had a Golgari list. And I, it was basically me getting some more practice with the deck with someone that I knew was serious about competing in this event uh, because she was taking this very seriously. And after we played about six games, she said, can I see your list? I said, sure. And she said, will you play the Golgari side and let me play this? And I was like, that's actually like really cool because she had all the cards to do that. And I could see it from the other side. And then I, after about six more matches, she said, would it be okay if I switch to this? And that's when I really thought I must have something here. Cause like she's been practicing Golgari for weeks for this. And now after finding this is like, I may have to swap over. And then when we got to the actual day of the tournament, she's like, Oh, I play tested this against my friend, Anna, who is also a streamer and in this event and she's switching too. So that was actually kind of invaluable to me as we got towards the games because I had a testing team and a team that I could communicate with between matches about sideboards. And the biggest thing that Muffin helped me with was that sideboard. I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted against Control, and she really helped me nail down exactly what cards I wanted to beat Control. So that's something that I've always been fascinated by, is, is the testing process and the team involved. That must have been super cool, um, not only for you know, the testing and the sideboarding tips, but just to have people you can root on and root for, right? Well, while you're between games or while you're, you know, you're three and one and like, oh, what, what's Anna doing? What's Muffin doing? Like what, what's going on with their decks and kind of have that extra rooting interest because, you know, there's going to be some variance. You're going to lose some games. You might not make top eight, who knows? But like if, if, if your deck makes it or, or a variant of your deck that you encourage people to play makes it, that's almost like, you know, your baby just won you know, your baby just left the nest and won a tournament or, or top eight at a tournament without you. And that must, that must give you the, the proud Papa feeling on that one. It, it certainly did. And like, we even like while talking to each other between rounds, figured out something as small as the, the taco guard, the one, three that makes abilities, not trigger Takali honor guard or something like that. I believe the actual name is taco guard, but I mean, if you've got nicknames for it, that's fine. But it, it was actually really good when you were playing against the green-white version of the deck because it turned off their Luxodon uh, Convoke dude as well as turning off their Tristanis. So you kind of didn't have enough to bring in against them to give you an edge. And usually what they do is get to a board stall, convoke out an elephant on a bunch of knights and kill you. Well, I like we figured that out in that Discord channel, kind of chit-chatting between games. I did that when I was uh, in a game against the green-white tokens list, and then the opponent at the end said that that taco guard really got me. Like they sent me a message in Discord, like that was that was a pretty good sideboard call, and it never would have occurred. Like I didn't test that matchup enough to know that that needed to come in, but once we tried it, man, was it good. Well, that was like such a counterintuitive card when you first look at it. You're looking at the green-white list and it's like, well, nothing enters the battlefield or like very few things enter the battlefield. It's really there for the Golgari matchup, for the Explorer matchup. But 
when I saw it and saw it happen, it does so much. It blocks two two tokens. It blocks one one tokens. It doesn't matter if it dies because it's really just an extra body most of the time with the extra added upside of sometimes hosing your opponent's key cards. So it was mm-hmm. it was quite the revolutionary thing, and it was interesting to see that evolution as it went through. And it's really exciting to me that you had a testing team that was able to figure that out. I think that's just the the neatest thing to come out of this, I think, um, outside of the actual games and the actual results of, of the tournament itself. So yeah, if they have another one of these, I'm absolutely going to get with uh, Muffin and Anna and see if they'd like to do the testing again, because they, they were fantastic at this. And I think if we, if we can come up with something like that again, maybe we will be a force to be rivaled with. It, it also makes me appreciate, I think how much effort the, when I, when I say professional magic players, I mean the professional paper magic players, the ones that are actually on the pro tour or that it got invited to the, the mythic league, um, how much effort they must go in or go through when it comes to testing their standard or modern decks for the pro tour or for GPs or things like that. Um, mm-hmm. Because I saw the effort just you put in for a $10,000 tournament to top prize $3,000 where it's kind of like a one and done, not necessarily one and done, but you don't, you're not winning anything beyond this right now. And these guys are, are playing for their livelihood. So it kind of just, you know, it's it, it was an interesting insight into the process. And I have a newfound appreciation for kind of the effort they put into it. I mean, I, I, not to put extra pressure on myself for the event, but I felt like I was playing for my livelihood too. Like, the, the yes, I won $750 and that's great. But what's better is that there are people coming into chat now asking me about the deck and wanting to check out my stream who didn't before. So the exposure was even bigger for me. Like my biggest concern going in here, and one of the reasons I prepped for it so much, even though it wasn't a format that I'm usually one that's very excited about, was like, if if I play in this and scrub out and there's another one, I may not get an invite. I, I want to have an impact on this tournament so that when the next Twitch Rivals comes around for Arena, it's a no-brainer to invite Travis. And I, I feel like I did well enough that I've at least secured that as well. Um, so, like, I... I tested, this was my pro tour, dude. Like I tested for this as hard as I would have a pro tour. I just had a week and a half's notice instead of three months. <laughs> instead of three months. And but every, that- well, yeah, but everything I did on stream for those that week and a half was all wrapped around this. Yep. You know, it's interesting that you put it that way because, you know, I assume that there will be another one. Um, looking Me at too. the viewership numbers for this, it looked like they peaked around 20, 24,000 viewers depending on, on how they calculate their numbers. Um, but that rivals a, a GP. That rivals the Pro Tour um, in viewership. And I mean, Twitch Rivals obviously has a base. Twitch has a base. They're going to put this on their front page. They're going to do things like that. But like to be able to be on par with a GP that runs on a weekend where people are at home and able to watch it, like this was in the middle of a day on a Tuesday. Um, and it was, was announced some... the day before. That's the other thing, and and I want to bring this up as a criticism of the event, Um, but yeah, you're right, like, no promotion outside of the the Twitch Rivals thing. Nobody could really talk about it until the day before or a couple of days before. You could say that you were in it, you couldn't say anything about it, you couldn't say who was, like, who else was in it, you couldn't say what the prize pool was, what the format was, was it best of three, best of one, you couldn't answer any of those questions. And and it still pulled 20,000 viewers, which is kind of amazing to me, so... I think with a little bit of promotion and a little bit of cross-promotion, you know, for example, if you put this in, in Watsi's hands where they have all of the tools of their marketing machine at their disposal, um, and then maybe also mix in the viewership like or like the, the Twitch rivals name or the branding 
or something, right? Partner with Twitch in some way to get it on the front page. You could be looking at 30 to 40,000 viewers easily on a weekend. And with viewerships like that, that means that this $10,000 prize pool all of a sudden could be 20, 30, $50,000 prize pool. Like it could rival a paper pro tour event quite easily all from the comfort of everybody's home. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, this is fantastic for Twitch streamers, and it's also fantastic for anybody who's interested in Magic as an esport, not just streamers. There's going to be people that want to play this and not stream it and still win cash and prizes, and I think this is just proving that like that can be done on Arena. So now I want to talk about the actual tournament itself that you went through. So um, mm-hmm. walk, walk us through. So you had to go the hard way through this. Um, how, how did your tournament start off? Uh, so I immediately started off, uh, I, I remember the first round very clearly. I was playing against MTG Nerd Girl, and she was on Mono Blue Aggro. I started the tournament and finished the tournament playing against Mono Blue Aggro. Um, fortunately for me, she had a pretty rough draw in both of those games, and it was over relatively quickly. Um, so I, I, I managed to get through that one. And we had a sideboard plan for Mono Blue, and I, I do believe that it worked out. Um, so like the first round felt relatively easy for me, but it, it's only because I knew that, that she had kind of an awful draw. And how would, how did you feel about your mono blue matchup going in? That seems like this, it's this weird deck where in the hands of a really skilled player, it feels unbeatable at times. And, and then in the, in the hands of maybe somebody that doesn't have a ton of experience with it, it feels like every, every decision that I make against it is just the be- like the easiest decision I've ever made because of how they're playing the game. What was, what was your take on it? I'd played the matchup enough when I had done the cues that I recognized kind of the key cards that mattered. Uh, a big one was surprisingly Merfolk Trickster. Um, and, and it, it basically meant you wanted to get the Adanto Vanguards out because they're just lunch for those guys. They jump in and block them. All of a sudden they don't have the plus one, plus one. You can't make them indestructible. Uh, whereas Shanna, who can't be targeted by abilities your opponent controls, like she can get through them and not be tapped by them. So you can kind of depend on her to do some heavy lifting for you. The, the matchup generally came down to, could I get a March of the Multitudes for three or more cast before they killed me with the the djinn? And they've got four of the gens to draw. I've got four of the marches to draw. So it kind of felt like who got to that card first. I could usually find a time where they were tapped out um, usually because they'd hold up spell pierce for a long time and then opt end of turn, and I could cast the the March of the Multitudes then. Mm-hmm. Um, and Heroic Reinforcements, like, that helped me a lot against people who were in the dark, but one interesting thing for this tournament is we all had each other's lists. They were concerned about ghosting, and maybe a big famous streamer is playing, and their chat's really rooting for them, so they're going to tell them what's in the other person's deck. And, like... Like once you have that information, you kind of can't ignore it. So they were like, we're just going to publish all the lists like they do at the top eight of a pro tour. So I I didn't need to wonder what I was supposed to play around from Nerd Girl's list. I knew what I was supposed to play around. It also meant that I lost the surprise factor of heroic reinforcements because she knew that I had that. Uh, So like that, that was a little bit of a different page for for this event than than some of the others I've played in. That seems like that that's. The best way to go, though, is to publish all of the all of the deck lists because anybody with the resources to get that information, and it's the same argument at the Pro Tour, right, or at a, at a yeah. GP or whatever, where people will, you know, people talk about teams having scouts and having spreadsheets of information on their opponents and things like that. At a certain point, it just makes sense to to give everybody the information because 
otherwise you're punishing the people that don't have those resources and if you're if you're not trying to get those resources that information then you're essentially doing it wrong you're giving yourself a disadvantage so why not put everybody on the same playing field in that regard and let the skill and the deck decision kind of make the important you know wins and losses and percentage points in your matches you know those are the decisions that should matter not does my chat go out and figure out that you have heroic reinforcement so i kind of like that yeah yeah i I was comfortable with that so you see breeze through round one kind of a little bit luckily which is which is fine that happens variance is a thing in magic that's that's why we play best of threes what happened in round two so i played against best marmot uh who was on golgari and I was pretty excited because we tested this matchup ad nauseum, and I knew that I was actually heavily favored here, uh, and he beat me 2-1. to one. I I had awful draws. I didn't get enough mana. He had the sweepers exactly the right spot, and I think he had a wild growth walker at one point that I just... I, I had the answers in the deck, but not in my hand. Uh, and it was actually a little bit discouraging for me. And I, I remember kind of rallying there and saying, of all the, the paths to the top eight of this event... One of them was me losing this round because I've got one loss to give. I could lose one game and still top eight this, um, but I can't lose any more. Yep. And so we should note that there were 45 players in the event. Mm-hmm. So five and one was a guaranteed top eight and four and two, depending on how the tie or the, the intentional draws went. Mm-hmm. one four and two i believe would have made it if i remember correctly or, or one four and two could have made it i don't think two could have depending on yeah. how all the draws shook out and, and all that stuff so you know at, at one and one your tiebreakers are probably not going to be that great yeah so I, I probably have to win out from here you probably got to go at least four one one to make it but four two was pretty much locked for first top 16 and cash so you know, you were you were essentially live for 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 top eight with a really good shot at at like a quote unquote day two, for example, right? Or mm-hmm. just making the money. So still in a great spot, and it was very interesting to see how you psyched yourself up for that. You know, you gave that little spiel about out of all the paths, right? One of the paths to the top eight has a loss in the second round, yeah. and there's a lot of people that in this event that will lose in in at some point and still make the top eight. So I thought that was really good to see. Uh, you rally back and your chat was obviously behind you um, with with the delay you know people would freak out at your plays and, and like in the good way or they'd like sweat with you I had watched people in your chat say that they were more nervous watching you play <laughs> yeah, than they, they were themselves than they would have been playing in the event themselves what do you think of that you know I, I think that's awesome and that we've made the connection and that digital sports is exactly what physical sports are because i i know people that like don't sweat their pickup games of basketball but they care deeply if their basketball team wins the championship or not and like i i think we've got that here for esports in general and and magic is now a part of that community and that makes me very happy so I, i was thrilled to hear that there were people that were that invested in that i felt the same way you know five years ago when i was watching michael jacob play in a ptq um, and I, I was watching when he won one online and like that encouraged me to start getting more and more into competitive magic myself. Mm-hmm. So the next few rounds playing for, for top eight or top 16, how did, how did they go? So I played in round three against, uh, Savich, I believe, believe is how you say that. I'm S-A-V-J-Z. Not sure. Uh, he's, he's a, a, a big streamer. 
Uh, but he was on the, the white green tokens list and it was exactly the one that I had started with. And this is when we figured out where the taco guard was so good. And at the end of that, he's like, you, you basically got me because of the taco guard. Like he was super nice about it, but he's like, you got me because of the taco guard. Good games. Um, round four, I went up against Hoogland. I uh, was who, who was basically playing a mono white aggro list, splashing four heroic reinforcements. Um, and this, this lived and died on, um, March of the Multitudes. Like the lifelink was, was too much for him to handle once I could get them going. Uh, so both of those matchups actually felt pretty easy and favored, uh, especially the sideboarded ones once I brought in the, the one three against the green white deck. Uh, round five, I played against Filthy Robot, who was on another Golgari list. Um, this one was actually more heavy on sweepers in the sideboard um, than others. He had two Phyrexian scriptures um, as, as kind of extra wipes and an extra wild growth walker in the sideboard. Um, but his main deck, I think, was only playing two. I've got the list here. Yeah, he only had two wild growth walkers in the main deck and one in the sideboard. And we'd identified that as the most important card in this matchup. So when I saw the list and was like, he's not playing enough of those to actually beat me, uh, I, I was pretty excited there. I, I think I actually fist pumped um, on the stream when I saw his list. And it, it went like expected when they don't get the wild growth walkers. I 2 0 him. And then in round six, I got paired against Amaz. We were both at four and one. Uh, and so the first message I sent him on Discord was, would you like a draw, sir? <laughs> uh, and both of us immediately drew and made the top eight. So, so what was it like, though? Because there's a little bit of a time there where you didn't know if Amaz wanted to draw with you or not. No, it wasn't that. Because I sent him, would you like to draw, sir? And he, he sent back, heck yes. So then I messaged in Discord to the tournament admin, Amaz and I would like to draw. And she said, okay, I need to see that from Amaz in writing. And I was like, okay, what's going on? And I, I guess he, you know, maybe he went to the bathroom or went to make some dinner or whatever, but there was 10 minutes between when she said that and he went, oh yeah, I totally want to draw. So I'm sitting there like just sweating a little bit. And then I'm like, I'm going to be at the bottom of the breakers. It, am I absolutely sure that I'm going to be in the top eight with this draw? But like the, the math worked out. And of course he came back and whispered me and was like, oh, sorry, I'll tell her now. And then everything was fine. A little bit of a sweat for the wrong reason. Yeah, just a little bit. Just a got, little bit. Got to have a little bit of drama in there. Okay, so your top eight, your chat mm -hmm. is going nuts. I mean, you know, it, there's 45 players, so like somebody might look at it and say like, oh, like top eight, I top eight my FNM all the time. It doesn't matter. It's like the first Magic Arena tournament, and you are now in the top eight. So take us through your process. What do you what are you preparing? Or like, how are you preparing for the, the semifinal or the quarterfinals? What's your approach? And then how does the game go? So for me, honestly, the, the biggest thing was chilling out between rounds throughout the entirety of the tournament. They said that we could restream the event from the Twitch Rivals thing and even comment on it or share it with our viewers. And I tried doing that for about five minutes. The coverage was actually really good. Like, shout out to the commentators. And I'm a huge fan of Matthias Hunt anyway. I think that dude's awesome. Uh, the other two guys they had were great as well. I'm, I'm not as familiar with them, but I've seen Matthias before and, and think he's great. But for me, I was like, I can't invest any mental energy in anything else. I need to just chillax. So my preparation was just literally chit-chatting with people on a five-minute delay, arguing with you about barbecue and listening to some tunes so that, so that I could chill. Like, I didn't think about the matchup until I saw who I was paired against and looked at the list. Yep. Um, I ended up being paired up against 
um, H.C. Justin. And I looked at the list, and it's pretty stock Golgari with three wild growth walkers. I was the elf, the Lanawar elf variant. Um, and I managed to pull that one away two and one. And I felt pretty good about that because, again, we've tested on uh, Golgari just over and over and over. So I, I sort of knew what, what I was up against. So you take that on the way to the the quarter or the semifinals, and you're up against Caleb D, superstar streamer extraordinaire, on a mono blue list. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big fan of Caleb. I I grew up as it were, like I'm 40. I understand he's younger than me, but like I I started in my MTG career watching some of his draft videos on Channel Fireball. Caleb's a good dude. We've played before in streamer showdowns in the past, so like. I'm a little nervous, but I've I've also, you know, gotten this far, so I'm not particularly scared of it. Now, one thing that's particularly crucial here, though, is Caleb was the top seed in the tournament, which means he's going to be on the play against me. It's not a dice roll, and that's terrifying with that mono blue deck with a good draw. Now, the advantage for me is his deck was actually playing a lot of Essence Scatters main, and that counters hardly anything in my list because most of my... Creatures, if you can hear the air quotes, are actually coming from spells. So, like, he's got three cards that are more or less dead against me. Um, so I, I felt like I had a pretty good shot game one. But things just didn't cooperate with me. I was stuck off of red mana for game one. And for game two, I managed to put myself in a position where I could win with the land. And then didn't draw the land. Um, and, and, like, you... you you just have to have that against a good draw from from the mono blue deck, and he had a good draw both games, um, and then was able to maximize it and kick my butt with it. Like kudos to Caleb, he did fantastic. Um, but I I was happy to have top aided the event. Would have loved to have won it, but I don't think there's any shame in losing to Caleb with that deck. I think out of all of the players in the tournament, Caleb on mono blue is probably the scariest player playing mon that would have been playing mono blue or could have been playing mono blue because his technical game is on point his his reads are incredible and his timing is impeccable and he plays every format so he knows like just innately how magic works and he's mm -hmm. he's just he's a, he's a he's a magician when it comes to that and putting a deck like like mono blue where there are so many explosive draws and there's so many ways to gain incremental advantage and there's so many ways to play around your car the cards of your opponent and read your opponent. I think you put that deck in his hands and it's it's difficult to knock him off. And um, I think he went undefeated in, in the tournament, if I remember correctly, right? Or did he lose a game? I'm not exactly sure. I was... I was not paying attention to anybody's record other than well, mine, Muffins, and Anna's. Well, I know for sure. I mean, he finished in the top seed overall, and I know he didn't yeah. draw in the last round because he wanted to play for top seed, which is another interesting decision that he made. Um, and oh, he 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 didn't drop a, a match. He may have lost a game, but he sorry, certainly didn't drop a match. He certainly didn't drop a match. So um, he may have lost the game along the way. So kudos to him. He ended up being your champion, um, and you finished in the top four, which. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, I mean, it doesn't matter what your goal was going in, like top eight, top, top 16 or whatever. Um, do you feel like it's put you on the map? I think so. In, in a little way, like I've got to do more, but I, I, I got in uh, a message through Twitter, actually, while we were getting ready to record this, that someone is doing a deck tech of the deck that I played in the event. And they wanted to let me know that they had credited me while they were talking about it. I'm like... 
one time Conley Woods wrote an article about a deck I played at a Star City Open. And it was sort of that feeling the, the same way. The difference is then I was just some guy that happened to be playing at my local SCG Open. Now I'm somebody producing content for a living. So to, to have made that impact and have people notice it, it, it felt really good. I've got more to do. I'm not Mythic ranked yet, and I want to be. Um, and I want to be prepared for the next tournament, and I want to see how I get involved in these these Mythic events as they begin happening. But I, I think this was definitely a step on the right path and a big sign that magic is growing and that there's there's room for me to do what I want to do, which is play magic. I think the big thing is it was a dry run for Magic Arena as a platform to play competitive magic, and it it performed mostly well. Mm-hmm. Like, the only hiccups that we had were not hiccups in gameplay. They were hiccups in the matchmaking, the the direct challenge, and sideboarding. Like, I believe in the finals, Caleb's opponent, I don't remember the gentleman's name, um, was awarded a game loss because he sideboarded incorrectly. And that was a combination of um, decklist registration slash sideboarding and not having, like, a best-of-three locked-in challenge mode where you have to do this weird dance to try to get the die roll and have to go and edit your deck and then re-challenge and things like that. Um, but and no a, one's ever had a no one's ever had a, a game loss for a sideboarding error in paper, so I think that's fair. Nobody ever had a sideboarding game loss on Magic Online. Th- that I will give you. That I will <laughs> give you. But I mean, like, but but as a platform, that just tells us that Arena is like 90% of the way there. And for a dry run, it's very, very encouraging. Now, whether that means that the events will still have to be quote community run, I'm using air quotes here, but, um, or, or if they'll be within the software is, is kind of yet to be determined, but at least in the short term, and we've seen this in other games, right? Eternal, um, Hearthstone, all of those, those card games are running these tournaments offline outside by the community or by some other organization and it's fine people get through it and and it's it's great for the most part for a lot of these things do you think we're there like or do you do you think we're close enough that we can essentially be on that scene with magic arena or do you think there's more to go i think we're close enough that we're essentially there Mm -hmm. and i also think that for all of the things that wizards could do better one of the things they excel at is creating tournaments and having competitive play so, like, if, if I had to choose a game just based off of who do you think will have the best in-client competitive events, it my money's always going to be on Wizards. Because mm-hmm. they've done that better than... They've certainly done that better than Hearthstone. Like, there's nowhere in the Hearthstone client to figure out where to go play in a tournament. And you can't log into Magic Online without seeing, you know, information about the Moxes and the PTQs. And know that, hey, this is where I'm supposed to go if I want to go to bigger tournaments. Yeah, agreed. I think the only thing we're missing, um, aside from being able to do best of threes with locked in sideboards, um, is spectator mode. Yeah, I know that's big on your list too. Um, and, and from my perspective, it, it's really kind of lit a fire under me to figure out if if there's a way to commentary via arena and via these these style this this style of events. Um, you know, as I was watching you, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I'm going to mute this and I'm going to like talk to myself about what you're doing and comment on your plays and comment on the opponent's plays and things like that. And I think it would be really neat to have either a full view for spectators where you can see both hands, kind of like what we see at the pro tour or GP, or even just a no card view where all you're seeing is what's on board and you see the backs of of the player's hands so that everybody else 
that might not be watching it on Twitch can come and log in and see it, or I can help you test or something like that, right? Like there's all sorts of potential there for a spectator mode. And I, and I, I realize that they're busy. <laughs> I, I poked Chris Clay or uh, yeah, Chris Clay in, in chat the other day. And, um, you know, he said that obviously there's a lot of things that they want to do, but they've got a lot of priorities that they're working on right now. So when, when I say this, I, I say knowingly from one developer to another that, that these things don't happen quickly and that there's a, a thousand things on the list ahead of this. But I think, I think we're 90% of the way there. I think I did really do. I, I think we're really close and I'm very excited and I'm very happy that I was wrong and that I owe you a coffee. And that is the I, only, that's the only time you're going to hear me say that. <laughs> I'm happy about that one too, man. I, I couldn't be happier with how the tournament was run. I want to do a shout out to all of the people that were involved in that. The Twitch rivals team did a fantastic job. Um, I, I can't imagine putting something like that together and running it with all of the personalities that were involved uh, and having it come off that smoothly and be like a good fun time for everybody. So they, they did a fantastic job. Couldn't be happier. Yeah. Get a little bit more promotion, fill it up with the 64 players next time. And, uh, and I think we got a, we got a winner on our hands. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Maybe even open it up to Twitch affiliates. <laughs> yeah, let me get right on that. I don't think I think actually it's less productive for me to take a day off work and top eight it than it is to to work. So, well, it was better for me, so I'm a happy boy. Yes, ab- absolutely. So, let's just say that magic will not be my day job anytime soon. But I mean, it would be cool. But I think we'll get that with in-game tournaments at some point, right? Or like other community-run tournaments that are like the minor leagues compared to this. But you're effectively a pro streamer, and and this kind of solidifies that. So. You have to you have to put on your taxes that you made money off of this thing, I imagine, because Americans. <laughs> yeah, that's how that works. All right. Well, that was exciting. Thank you for taking us through that. I'm uh, I'm very glad that I got to participate in the testing and watch you sweat the whole way, and I sweat a little bit with you, and it was fun. It was a really cool chat experience, and I hope that uh, hope to get a lot of people come back to your channel after. Yeah, thanks again for helping me, man. Like your your testing is the reason I won the matchups, the, the matches against Golgari that I did. So thanks again for that. So what percentage of your prize pool then does that get me? Zero, I'll, right? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say I'll buy you a coffee. No, I, I, I owe you that. We'll, we'll, we'll take an IOU <laughs> on that one. We'll take a, okay, we'll take a okay. rain check. Fair enough. We'll, we'll take your yearly aggregate on tournament winnings. <laughs> okay, then I owe you a loony. <laughs> All right. So we didn't podcast last week, and I do want to apologize to our faithful listeners. Uh, you were not able to talk last week, and we weren't able to reschedule, especially with the, the Twitch Rivals tournament. So there was kind of a big announcement that week, and we were really excited to talk for it and it kind of or talk about it, and it kind of just didn't work out. So we had a huge patch for Magic Arena, and the state of the beta came out, and they made a lot of important changes, most of which around ranking in in constructed and and limited specifically um they made rank matter and that was kind of the title of, of the post on the forums was that rank matters or rank 101.0 or whatever um for, for those that aren't in the know maybe you haven't played this week or maybe you haven't really checked out the the ladder essentially what they've done is they've created a, a ladder system a ranking system um similar to Hearthstone's model where wins will move you up the ladder and and losses will move you down the ladder you can't as you lose you can't go below the color tier that you're in and every time you win you go up uh, you know 
early on you go up more than you go down, for example. But once you get to a certain point, you know, every win moves you up a notch and every loss moves you down a notch. So effectively what we're, what we're doing here is, um, you know, grinding out games either in, in limited or constructed for these ranks um, that will eventually get you an end of the month or an end of the season prize. Now, right now, these prizes are quite small. Um, looking at the chart, we're looking at gold in the thousands, singular, um, and one to two packs, depending on how far up the chain you go. And actually, I, sh I should describe these as we go. But everybody starts at bronze, and if, if you're at bronze at the, at the end of the event, at the end of the season, you get one pack. So everybody gets a free pack, basically, which is which is kind of good. Like, there's always the joke that wiz you know wizards could put fold up a twenty dollar bill and put it in a pack, and people would complain about how it was folded. <laughs> We're getting free value out of this for not doing anything. Everybody gets an extra pack every month. We don't know that we don't know that it's been taken away from somewhere else. We don't know that like you know the rewards somewhere else have gone down. But from what we can tell, this is just free value right now, mm -hmm. and. And we go through silver, gold, platinum, diamond, mythic, and basically at every tier you're getting some amount of gold or an extra pack to the point where if you get to mythic, you get five packs and a thousand gold, which I think a lot of people are going to say that that's, that feels like a kick in the butt um, because those, those, you know, and when you look at the tiers and, and how long it's going to take you to get to mythic, it feels like a very low reward and not worth your time. However, again, keep in mind that this is just free value and you know, everybody's eventually going to settle into gold and get their two packs plus a thousand gold per month, month which is like, you know, like a, a three or four days worth of, of daily quests. You're getting a few extra uh, gold and pack, packs in your pocket. Well, he even said in the announcement that, like, this is not including cosmetic items, which might be added later. Like, your value may vary, but I, I would value Nicol Bolas card backs or a voice pack at $50. Like if I could buy that right now for fifty bucks, I like I'd be like, dude, we got to pause the podcast so I can buy this and listen to it. So like, I think they understand. And to be blunt, that these rewards suck. The point is, I'm not doing this to get the rewards. I'm doing it because now they've given me a competition, and as a competitive player, I would like to win that competition. I think that is the most important thing: is that you have to look past the rewards and, and figure out the reason why you want to play ranked. Um... I think we should talk about first, I think, how difficult it is. So if, if you if people out there are familiar with the Hearthstone model, once you get to the, the legendary rank, um, depending on how high up you get in legendary, you're given a number. And basically, you can be the number one player in, in the rank, or the, the number one legend player, or the number 10 legend player. The same thing kind of applies here. Once you get to Mythic, you start getting ranked amongst all the players in Mythic, and somebody out there is going to be the number one Mythic player. We don't know that we're that there's going to be anything for that there's nothing announced for that there's nothing that says if you're the number one arena player that you get invited to the mythic league you know in paper or you get a pro contract there's none of that stuff we don't know anything of that but it but, can't hurt but it can't hurt but it's it's interesting to me that when you put the carrot in front of somebody that says this is the end this is an end goal for you that somebody will sit down and grind it in a day. And we had our first mythic player like a day and a half after this patch released. And he's posting mm -hmm. on Reddit or she was posting on Reddit about it. So even though the rewards are terrible, terrible for the amount of time you have to put in, like, I think the gold rewards are fine. Like everybody's going to get to gold because you can't, you can't lose fast enough in bronze and silver to, to not get to gold basically. Yeah. 
that like you should play it because it's going to be free value but i think i think i think a few people are kind of upset or feel like that the ranking system is not for them because they're never going to get out of gold and i've seen the people talk about this and it i can i can see the frustration and the more that i think about it the more that i disagree with it well the the premise for me comes down to is ranking something that is a display of your skill at the game or is ranking a time barrier to get you to invest a certain amount of time into the game and then get a reward? So from the perspective of some other card games, it's it's not a one-for-one win-loss pip. When you rank up, you gain a little bit more than when you rank down. And that does cut off at a certain point for Hearthstone, which is the big one in the room. I don't think it actually does for Eternal, which is the other one that I have some experience with. I was the top 10 limited player in Eternal for like five minutes or something. Um, this system is basically saying that once you hit your, your, your skill group, you're probably going to stay there. And it doesn't matter how much you play, you're still going to stay there which I actually really like, what it means is if, if you hit Mythic in Arena, it's because you're good at the game and have invested time in it, not just one or the other. Mm-hmm. So like, if it's only based on win percentage, technically I could play one game, win, scoop, I've got a 100% win rate, I'm good to go. Obviously nobody's happy with that. And if it's just a factor of time, where if I can just get to... and invest enough time. And and technically you could with this system. I just don't think anybody will have that much time in the month that's allotted. So as it turns out, I'm pretty happy with it now. Now ask me again in two weeks after I've been trying to hit Mythic and maybe still haven't done it yet. Maybe I'll be frustrated. But like the idea of a ranking system where rank not only matters because you get rewards, but also matters because there's some weight behind it. When you say I'm... I'm a platinum constructed player. Like that's actually going to mean something to the people who can't get out of gold. Yeah. So basically how it works once you hit gold is for every loss, every win moves you up a notch and every loss moves you down a notch. And when you advance six notches, you move up to the next tier within your color. So in gold, you win six games or sorry, you win six games more than you lose and you move to gold three and then gold two and then gold one. And then once you get to the higher ranks, it's it's become seven so just doing some some quick math and looking at it, you need to win 80 games more than you lose. Now, there's other things that factor in this. So, for example, if you lose immediately after you rank up, you don't rank down immediately. So there's a little bit of grace there. But you essentially, if I'm doing my math correctly here, 13, 20 times 4. If I'm understanding this correctly, you need to win 80 more games than you lose to get to Mythic. Does that make sense? Yeah. So then when you extrapolate that math out, and somebody's done the math on Reddit, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, they they projected that like a person with a 55% win rate would need to play something like 800 games to get there. And my initial reaction to that was, holy smokes, that's a lot of games of magic. People aren't going to be able to do that. And then as I thought about it more, I realized that maybe the 55% player is not supposed to be at Mythic. And that yeah. we should be looking at the 58, 59, 60% players to be at Mythic. Because Mythic should not be a catch-all for everybody. It should not be the the the, the end point for everybody that plays Magic in the, in the ladder. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you have a 51% win rate, that doesn't necessarily mean that you should be Mythic. Because if you're Mythic, 
and and everybody else at 51% is also mythic, all of a sudden that isn't special anymore. Then no, if everybody's mythic, then nobody's nobody's mythic. mythic. Um, it, so the so Reddit I think, post also didn't take into account the fact that like if you're 55 percent in bronze you're not going to be 55 percent in in platinum right like as the skill levels of your opponents go up your win percentage should adjust for that as well mm -hmm. like i think i would do better drafting at uh an fnm than i would at a pro tour because i think the competition might be a little stiffer at the pro tour absolutely um and but you know and then the obviously the the converse is true right is like the people that will be mythic will be winning every single game in bronze and silver and probably mm -hmm. cruising through gold right so maybe they have a higher win rate so i i think i think a lot of the people that are that feel like this isn't for them need to evaluate whether it is for them or not I mean, but I, what i mean by that i mean obviously like it's like yeah like that's what you just said but it's more like if you if you look at it and you say to yourself, I don't have the time to get to Mythic, then maybe evaluate what you want to get out of the rank system. Maybe Platinum is your Mythic. If if you're a weekend warrior, you know, you're you're a single mom or a single dad and you, you only get to play on Friday and Saturday nights when your kids are in bed and that boils down to like five games a week, well, maybe you should set your goal as I'm going to get to gold as fast as possible and then see if I can get Platinum and Platinum is my Mythic. You know, there's a, a Hearthstone podcast called 1600 Dust, hosted by a gentleman named Spivey, who I met at GP Portland when he was into magic. And uh, I still follow him on Twitter because of that. And they call rank five in Hearthstone dad legend. <laughs> and like, basically, if you can get to rank five as a father and someone who works full time, you are a legend. And they'll post their dad legend picks when they hit rank five. Like... It's entirely possible that there will be a cosmetic reward for gold, one for and one for mythic, and maybe your your goal each month to, for your competitive scene because you you got to work, you, you know, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. You got to spend time with the family, like you just want to get to gold. And I think that that is really achievable for anyone who is decent at this game and willing to invest a little time in it. I mean, gold at a bare minimum, if you play if you play constructed, is achievable just because of. You can't lose your bronze ranks. And in silver, you know, one win is worth two losses. So anything greater than 33% win rate will eventually get to gold. Yeah. Right? So if you think it's not for you, you might be right. Mythic is not for everybody. And you need to figure out how you want to play to have fun with the rank system. And maybe rank is just not for you. Yeah, and maybe that you just want to do traditional drafts and play in the constructed queues. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I think they're still fun, and they were great for testing um, for me for this event because the event was best of three and currently ranked as best of one. Yeah, that's the, that's the piece that I have the problem with, and draft, but I think that's another beast. Yeah. I have played... I hit gold one. Did I hit gold one or gold two? No, I was gold one this morning when I when I when I played it. So I was four wins away from from platinum, and then the best of one variance hit me in the face. I hit bad matchup game one after bad matchup game one. I think I rattled off nine losses in a row, and it felt terrible. Now that's not best of one's fault, right? That's just that's just a little bit of variance. But I think what I find in best of one is a couple of things. One is the metagame seems to be way more important uh, because 
you have to tweak your deck. I think I, I saw a Brian Braun doing article on this just before the podcast started. I mean, I have to double check to make sure that it was him that wrote it. I, I think that was the face that I saw at the end of it um, that talked about how to metagame your decks for best of one specifically. And I'm going to have to go back because I think that's very important in best of ones. Um, whereas in a best of three, you know, a lot of matchups that are very bad in game one become very good in game two and game three because of the sideboard tech that you can bring in. Um, or the changes your your opponent's making to their decks, and, and you can read that. But I think from from a competitive Magic perspective, I have serious challenges and gripes with best of one, mostly because I think best of three in Magic is like the perfect Magic experience for competitive games. I don't know what your take is on that one. I don't necessarily disagree with you. Um, I, I can see how they couldn't have a best of one a separate best of one rank and best of three rank. It seems like you'd kind of want to put it in the same place, but you can't really have them competing against each other for that rank because you could just do it faster in best of one if variance was on your side. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of the information they put out, they said that they've done this because best of one is, is more popular on Arena. And I've heard a lot of people backlash and say, I don't think it actually is. I think there's a lot of other reasons why people are playing best of one instead of best of three. But like, you're kind of, I don't know if I can say this on the podcast, but you're kind of pissing in the wind there. Like, it doesn't matter why people are playing best of one. People are playing best of one. Like, it's the most popular and you have all these reasons why it is. Well, then so what? It is. Like... Soviet it's not what we're used to, but it can still be a competitive environment. Soviet Union cola is the most popular cola in the Soviet Union because 97% of the population drinks it. Let's not even get started on unions. <laughs> nice little throwback there. But no, like, yes. Okay, so, and, and the 97% number comes from a, a comment from the state of the beta post saying that, you know, 97% of games since the launch of open beta or whatever were best of ones best of one is incredibly popular for various reasons best of one is not popular because it's the best way to play magic best of one is popular because it is the most accessible way for people to play magic on arena a because of the free-to-play model and people you know sideboards are more expensive than 60 card decks and b you know the most the most easily accessible modes from the interface are best of ones like full full stop right like if you take away those two things like if you took away best of one entirely let's say you know best of three you'd still probably have like game wise not necessarily match wise but game wise i bet you that the numbers would be very very close so there's a reason why in PUBG it makes more sense for me if I want to win to go hide in a house until there's only one person left and then try to shoot them. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm actually not very good at that game. Mm -hmm. I've got about a 30% chance to win any given firefight. So the best chance for me to win is to wait until there's only one person and then shoot them. And I've got about a 30% chance to win. The better I get at the game the more interested I am in more firefights. If I've got a 90% chance to win them, then I may as well kill everybody else and get their gear and then go slaughter that last person because I'm overgeared too. So I agree. The better you are at magic, the more interested you become in best of three, Yes, which I do believe is a good reason for it to be like 
the 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 right place to go for competitive magic. I'm just saying right now I, I've been in a position where I've jumped on the bandwagon of let's get mad at Arena or get mad at Watsy over this and that, and I, I'm not really ready to do it yet because I've had Magic Online installed on my PC since I've had a PC, and I have very rarely played Standard, and they've got me happily grinding best of one. So like whatever they're doing. It's working, and I'm happy to be playing the format, and I'm going to reserve judgment until I see the end result of this. Like, how hard is it for me to get Mythic? Is it just terrible because everybody's playing Mono Red? Is it wonderful because the decks open up and there's some really interesting decisions? Like, I just don't know yet. I, If you ask me, you know, Travis, would you rather play best of three or best of one? I'd rather play best of three. I think I'm a, a better than your average player and that I can leverage that by having best two out of three. Frankly, I'd rather play three out of five, right? Like, seven. And if you told me we could do seven out of ten, I think I'd probably go for that too. Mm-hmm. Because, like, again, the, the more that I get, the, the more likely I am to get that win. So, but right now, best of one is what we have, and I don't hate it. And I don't hate it either, because it is magic, and it's better than not playing magic. Um, I, I do find it frustrating once in a while when I know that, like, you know, if this was a best of three, I'd have a chance to to turn this match around and get a, get a W instead of an L. Um, and I and I know that I'm on the positive side of that once in a while too. Um, I think that if they had come out with their ranked changes and said that ranked is going to be best of three, and we're going to have we're going to keep best of one as the non-ranked event, um, I think I think you would have had a backlash on the other side. I think you would have had the backlash on the weekend warriors the single moms and the single dads that parent all day and, or heck the married couples that parent all day that only have time for arena, you know, right before they go to bed for an hour. Um, they would feel like it wasn't accessible to them because yeah. they might, because they might be free to play players and they might not have sideboards. Um, so I, th- I think there needs to be some, you know, some perspective on who the ranked is for. And I think right now, Watsi has said that ranked is for everybody. Yeah. And and I don't know that that is necessarily how it should be. But that being said, ranked currently is for everybody, and it seems to be working except for the fact that it's best of three instead of best of one. Again, because of that gold plateau and people can get those rewards. So from an accessibility perspective, I understand that. From a competitive and I want variants to be as low as possible most of the time perspective, please give me best of three ranked. Yeah, I I think I would like that too, but I also still feel it's from the perspective of somebody who's used to what competitive magic has been, as opposed to somebody who's just coming into it now. So like, maybe there's even a separate ranking system for both of them, and and one day we can do something like that. Like, I, I don't see why that couldn't coexist if there's enough of a player base for it. I think all you have to do is you just say... You calculate like the, what percentage of people do you want to be mythic and adjust your ranks for best of three so that you play, you know, a similar number of matches, right? Maybe maybe it's like half the matches to get to mythic instead of the same number of matches to get to mythic and best of ones, and you have a separate ranking. I don't see why not. Um, but yeah, I think it's funny because it's just like in an in an interest in them trying to make it appeal to everybody, like it's not going to appeal to everybody, and I just have to accept that. It's fine. You know, it, it's interesting too. Our buddy Evan, uh, who is a game designer, I think was the one that brought this up. Was like he was talking about the entry fees for drafts, and that he thinks they've essentially brought the entry fees for drafts down 
on Arena for most Magic players, but also made it impossible for someone who's very good to go infinite and have a zero cost. Mm -hmm. And like that hurts me because I was one of the people who could go infinite, but for everybody else, it's just a good thing. And if that's how best, I guess I just wasn't that tied to standard. So I I don't really mind that much that they're fiddling with it. But like, like I said, the end, the end of the day for me is I wasn't interested in playing standard and Watsy got me interested in playing standard by telling me I can achieve a rank that, that will verifiably allow me to say, David, I am a better human being than you because I have mythic and you have platinum. I'm currently higher than you. Are you still stuck in gold four? Last I looked, you had zero pips. I have one now. You can hush. Okay, one pip. I'm sorry. Even and that's after my nine game losing streak. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was busy testing for this tournament that I topped for. You may have heard of it. It was Twitch Rivals. <laughs> uh, no, I actually didn't hear hear of it because they didn't <laughs> advertise it until the day before. Fair enough. Fair um, enough. and then I think at some point in the near future we're gonna rant on draft because I think draft is an entirely different beast. But I think that's an entire podcast. Yeah, I think I think we could have a podcast about the elephant in the room. Yeah, the merfant, MMRfant. Mm-hmm. All right. I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts too. But Constructed is in a really good place, and I like that we're getting something for Ranked, and I like that I understand that this is a test, and that they're looking to get a bunch of data, and that Watsy has been really good. Actually, I, I have to give them credit for this. Anytime a game company listens to the mob... I'm very afraid of what happens next because once the mob gets the idea that they have this power behind them, sometimes it just, you can't steer the ship anymore. The ship just goes out of control and hits an, it's an iceberg and sinks. Yeah. But one of the announcements in the, in the beta was that the ICR rewards, the card rewards for constructed events um, were going away. And there was speculation that maybe this was an adjustment for the fifth card problem and that like we were going to get that value back somewhere else. Turns out I really like ICRs. I like flipping those cards over in those events and I'm not the only one. There's a lot of people that really liked those and also thought that the value was being taken away and that these events were no longer, there was no reason to play these events anymore. And it was interesting because like thinking about it, did you have you did you play any of those like weird constructed events or those weird draft events on the weekend, those streamer events? I didn't play any of the streamer ones, um, but I, I did play things like Singleton. Okay. So I played the wacky Cascade one. These events are not for me, generally speaking. But there was that initial the, the incentive to play because I could get these ICRs and I had a fun little deck to play, and I ended up playing 35 games or like 40 games or something like that. And if if there was no reason to play these, like if there's no little tiny carrot at the end of it, I probably wouldn't have spent my wild cards on these things. I probably wouldn't have bought a Mox, uh, you know, Legendary Mox, whatever it was called, Mox Amber. And um, But they got me to spend wild cards and buy some packs with gold so I could get another Mythic wild card so I could spend on this event. And all because I could flip these random cards and get some extra value out of my 500 gold that I was spending or my 400 gold that I was spending. And I thought it was really cool. And I think there's a lot of people that, that like those ICRs for the same reason. So when they said that they were taking them away and there was this backlash, they immediately went and patched it and says, okay, hold on. You know, we're going to add these back in. Don't worry about it. Now they're going to reevaluate them at some point in the future. So short-term win, we'll see what happens in the long term. but good on them for listening to the community and changing that. And I think that is positive because I think we'll get 
they'll take this feedback, you know, around MMR and drafts and around how the ranked system works and, and things like that. I just hope that the mob doesn't realize their power is that great and use it for the wrong reasons. That's what I'm afraid of. They must use their power for good and not for evil. I agree. So we'll see that happens, but I think it's going to wrap it up this week. That was a nice little, uh, nice little topic. A lot of stuff happened in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Sorry again about missing last week, but it's hard to do a podcast when you can't talk. I, I agree. So, and there's no, no shortage of time in the future to record these. So yeah. So once again, thanks to listen. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, if they want to catch you streaming this week and next, where can they catch you? I guess not next. Next week's Christmas. I'll be streaming some next week. Uh, it's at twitch.tv slash simulan. All right. And I am at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. You can catch us on Twitter. We're at menformoto. And if you're interested in supporting our Patreon, we're also at patreon.com slash menformoto. Once again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye.